0: We are in Mark chapter 6, if you would turn your, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, and we are going to be reading a story about a guy named Herod Antipas, and um, it's quite a lesson in what not to do. In the passage that we're reading today, there's, there's nothing good or happy about it at all. The parts of the Bible are there to warn us and to show us and to illustrate uh, the danger, and the damage, uh, the dangers that is there and the damage that is done when we choose to not follow the Lord. And so uh, his life, unfortunately, serves as a very negative example. And um, John Corson is a pastor up in Oregon, and, and he, said he, he was teaching pastors, and he said once, and I really like this, he said, if you only feed the sheep, people being sheep, that's what the Bible calls it, if you only feed the sheep and don't warn them, then you're just fattening them up for the kill. And so the Bible has warnings for us, as well as words of encouragement. So we don't want to miss anything. That's why we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So let me read the story to you. We're going to take a flyover view. Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. Then I'll have a word of prayer. Then we'll come back and and tear it apart. Now King Herod heard of him, speaking of Jesus... For his name had become well known, and he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, It is is Elijah. And others said, It is the prophet, or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, This is John whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John, John the Baptist, and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore, Herod held it against him and wanted, Herod, excuse me, therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom So she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. For the king was exceedingly sorry, and the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison. He brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray, and we pray corporately, Lord, that um, you teach us today. Teach us your ways, Lord. May our lives look nothing like Herod Antipas and nothing like Herodias, nothing like Herodias' daughter. May our lives look increasingly like Jesus and not like this, Lord. We see the, the, the terrible damage that is done by people who insist on, on living for themselves. And we don't want to be those people, Lord. So we need your help and we need your encouragement and we need to have a holy fear of you, Lord. And, and a, a very serious realization of how sin can destroy a life. But we also want to have a a very serious encouragement, Lord, about how great it is to walk in you. So teach us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled this message, Unrelenting Sin. If you look at your notes, um, I put a, a, a definition of the word unrelenting The word unrelenting means not yielding or swerving in determination, not slacking in severity, maintaining intensity and trajectory. So if you look at the life of Herod Antipas here, there was a lot of sin in his life. And I'm kind of speaking about sin as if it were a person, or if it had an attitude, or if it had its own conscience, or its own mind. Sin in the life of Herod Antipas, or sin in the life of Herodias, sin in the life of anyone, the nature of sin, the tendency of sin, if left unchecked, if a person doesn't repent from their sin, if a person doesn't turn from their sin and turn to God, this is what sin does in a person's life. And these are just adjectives describing it. Look at the definition again. Sin doesn't yield or swerve in determination. If we could personify sin, you know, sin doesn't wake up in your life, you know, on Monday morning and go, well, you had a good day at church yesterday. I'm going to give you the day off today. It doesn't do that. There's temptation from the very beginning. There's challenges, there's trials, there's hardships, there's selfish things that arise within us, there's people that come against us and we want to respond the wrong way. Sin is not yielding or in it's unswerving. It just is steady. It's not slacking in severity. Sin doesn't say, well, you had a tough day Monday, so Wednesday I'm just going to go 50% strength against you. It doesn't do that either. It's always on. It's always 100%. It maintains its intensity and trajectory. It doesn't say, well, you know, for the last five years of your life, I've been trying to destroy you. But for the next three, I'm just going to go into neutral and make you feel good about yourself. It doesn't do that either. Sin is unrelenting in our lives. And we just need to understand that. And, and, and this story is written for us as a negative example of a man and a woman that give, give their lives over to their own desires. And we see the outcome, and it's, it's a terrible outcome. I want to look at some things here regarding the life of Herod Antipas. Um, the first point I want to make in general is that sinful living causes spiritual confusion in the life of a person. If a person is insistent on just living for themselves, not, not having a heart for God, not following God at all, not following Jesus Christ, wanting to just do their own thing and ignore the God of the Bible, there's, there's spiritual confusion that comes into their mind. Uh, the setting is this in, 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 John, excuse me, in Mark chapter 6. Jesus has sent out his disciples, and Jesus has had a terrific ministry in the, in the northern part of the, of the nation, in the area called Galilee. It's been, it's been terrific. Uh, he and his disciples have been casting out demons, healing people, preaching amazing messages, and Jesus' popularity has been growing. And so the, the, the knowledge about Jesus gets, gets to Herod Antipas. If this is the nation of Israel, Israel kind of runs north and south more than it does east and west. So it's kind of a long, long, narrow country. Uh, Jerusalem is down here. Sea of Galilee is up here in the north. And this is kind of a more rural region. This is more of a city region down here. A lot greener up here in the north, very much like Napa Valley. Down here it's more like Arizona desert kind of thing. So here's the Mediterranean Sea on this side, and over on this side is the Dead Sea in the Jordan River Valley, and on the other side of the Dead Sea is where Herod Antipas is in a place called, in a a castle called Machiris. And he's called a tetrarch, and that means him and three other guys rule this whole region, and they're they're commissioned there, and they're there by, by Rome's command. And so Herod Antipas hears about Jesus, and he starts freaking out. He's very spiritually confused. Now now remember, and we're going to see some details about his life, his spiritual confusion is is a result of his sinfulness. He doesn't really understand who Jesus is. And that's one of the points that I want to make. When we refuse to look to God, if we try to figure Jesus out, it's just fuzzy and unclear and we we don't understand who he is. We don't understand spiritual truth. I want you to look at verses 14 to 16 again. King Herod heard of him. For his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. Therefore, these powers are at work in him. Others said, no, it's Elijah. And others said, it's the prophet or one like the prophet. So there's all these questions going on and all these suggestions about who Jesus is. Verse 16, but when Herod heard, he said, this is John who might beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. So in verse 16, you see some things there. Herod is expressing great confusion and it's fueled by guilt. And I want you to look at your notes there. In the Greek language, there's some, you know, when we emphasize something, for instance, if I want to emphasize something and I'm writing to you, or if I'm texting you, I'll do what? I'll capitalize a word. That means I raised my voice when I said it, or something like that. Or if I'm writing you a letter, I'll, I'll italicize the font. Actually, for you, it would be this way. I'll put it in bold. I'll underline it. I'll circle it. I'll kind of point it out. The Greek language describes Herod as saying what he said in this way. This one. I beheaded. That's, that's the, it's not like, oh, this one I beheaded. It, there's a great emphasis in his voice as he is saying it. That's what the, the Greek language tells us. And it also tells us that it is said, the word said is in the perfect tense. Herod kept on saying it. And I'm throwing some technical terms at you, but it just matters for this reason. Herod didn't just say, oh, this one I beheaded. He's, this one I beheaded. This one, I beheaded. This one, I beheaded. He's walking around saying, it's this one that I beheaded. I did it. It was that guy that I did this to and he just kept on saying it. And that's the picture that we get from the language. It's a very descriptive kind of language, the way they put it in different tenses and different emphasis on, on words. Why is there such confusion? He, he saw his head on a platter. There's guilt, exactly. It, this, he's guilty. He violated his own conscience. And as a result, he has spiritual confusion about who Christ is. He's misidentifying Jesus because of guilt. And guys, that is not uncommon in the world that we live in. If we are insistent on, on doing our own thing and turning away from the Lord, when it comes to trying to have cl- spiritual clarity regarding the person of Christ, we're not going to have it. It's just not going to be there. Herod's sinful living is, 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 we, is told to us in verse 18, John had said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So he committed adultery, but there's a lot more to it than that. Look at your notes, if you will. This is a tangled mess. If you think you have bad family history, you haven't seen anything compared to the Herods. And There were a bunch of guys named Herod. It started with Herod the Great, who was the king and the ruler at the time that Jesus was born. He was the one that ordered the massacre of all the little boys under two years old. He was the one that the wise men from the East came and spoke to. Let me read to you a little bit. It is very confusing, actually. Herodias, the woman in this story, had been married to Herod Philip, who was her uncle. So Herodias was previously married to a guy named Herod Philip, who was her uncle, and they lived in Rome. Herod Antipas visited his Rome, visited Rome, and seduced his half-brother's wife, and then married her. So Herod Philip is a guy living in Rome. He's married to his niece. And his half-brother, Herod Antipas, comes and says, hey, you should dump him and go with me. So he talks her into it, seduces her. She divorces her husband, marries this other guy, and they move off to, the, to this castle over in present-day Jordan. And they're living there. It's a very luxurious castle. In fact, you can still go there today and see the place where Herodias' daughter danced, where that, fest, where that feast was. You can go into the, into the jail and see where John was chained up. That place still existed. I, now I want to go over there again. I want to see this place. A guy named William Barclay, who is a Bible commentator, said this about Herodias, the wife in the story. Herodias was the daughter of his half brother, Aristobulus. Herod Antipas had a half brother named Aristobulus. Aristobulus had a daughter named Herodias. Therefore, when he married this woman, he was marrying his niece. And she was the wife of his half-brother, Herod Philip, and therefore his sister-in-law. Herod the Great had five sons and had many children, had five sons by different women, and was so paranoid about one of them trying to take the throne that he killed all of his sons, systematically. And there was a saying in ancient days that said, It's safer to be Herod's pig than it is to be his son because these guys were crazy and paranoid, the way you would ascend to a throne was by assassination often. There was incest going on. There was intermarrying between siblings and cousins and all this. Very common in that day. It was a scandalous kind of thing. So anyway, Herodias divorces her husband, married marries Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, by the way, was married to a, to a woman who was the daughter of a king east of Jordan, and he dumped her to marry Herodias. There was a double divorce that went on, and then the guy married his niece, half-sister, or sister-in-law. It was a mess. You could say that Herod had a sinful living problem. (laughs) So what I want to propose to you is simply this. He was ignoring God so often and so regularly that when it came to the person of Christ, he couldn't recognize Christ and thought he was John the Baptist, whom he had already killed. There was spiritual confusion in this man's life. Go back, to the, go back to the definition, guys. Unrelenting sin, not yielding or swerving in determination, not slacking in severity, maintaining intensity and trajectory. However much time had passed between the murder of John the Baptist and this misidentification of Jesus, sin was still working in his head, bringing confusion, bringing a lack of clarity, bringing darkness, bringing cloudiness over the person of who Jesus is. And if there's anybody that we need to understand in this world, it's Jesus. Amen? We need to know who Jesus is. And Herod Antipas couldn't really discern who he was because of his sinful life. His sinful living resulted in regrettable decisions. We're going to look at these one by one. Look at verse 17. Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in a prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. So, what, one of the first things that we see here is this. This shows us the effects of an ungodly that the ungodly spouse can have on a person. Herod wanted his brother's wife and he found a way to seduce her and he took her for himself. But whatever joy he had in that, and you know how lust can be, lust for a person, lust for a car, lust for a musical instrument, lust for a new house, lust for a new job. Lust simply means passionate craving. So you can have this passionate craving and be momentarily, or at least for a season, you can be satisfied and then it starts to wear off. And I'm imagining uh, as the story goes here that he had this passionate craving for Herodias so much so that he divorces his wife and steals his brother's wife but it's starting to wear off <laughs> because this man that he respected John the Baptist his wife wanted dead this wasn't just about you know changing the school that your kids go to this wasn't just about honey I need a new car or I need more of a spending budget for for my clothes This is like John would go to hear this guy and Herodias was like, I want him dead, I want him dead, I want him dead, I want him dead. Can you imagine the tension in that home? It wasn't good. This is one of the results of sinful living. It says here, look at verse 17, for the sake of Herodias... Once again, I, I, do, I like to do word studies. I like to look in the Greek. I don't speak Greek or anything like that, but I'm beginning to understand how the words work. For the sake of Herodias means on account of Herodias. Herod Antipas didn't want to put John the Baptist in prison himself. He was pressured into it by his wife. How important it is to, to marry the right person, amen? Amen. <laughs> How important important it is to marry a godly person. Christians should never marry an an unbelieving person, ever, as as much as you might think they're your soulmate or whatever else. Okay, The highest thing is to have a a person that loves Jesus the way that you do. And a lot of turmoil and a lot of tension and a lot of strife comes into a house and it came into this house, came into that castle. I'm sure the servants in the castle could hear them probably yelling at each other quite often. I want him dead. No, I'm not going to kill him. I want him dead. Okay, I'll just put him in prison. Will that make you happy? No, that won't make me happy. I want him dead. I'm not going to kill him. I want him dead. I mean, you can hear it in your mind. This is the result of sinful living, regrettable decisions. Verse 19 and 20. Therefore Herodias held it against him, held it it against John the Baptist, because he said, you're an adulteress. John the Baptist was more interested in truth than living. He preferred truth over living. He said, hey, Herodias, you know what? You're an adulteress. Therefore, Herodias, verse 19, held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Herodias wanted John dead, but Herod was unwilling to kill him because he knew he was a righteous man. So once again, the tension in the home. The hatred of Herodias against John was ongoing and unrelenting. All the verbs in in verses 19 and 20 are continuous present tense, which just means she didn't like wake up one day and go, oh, never mind, let's let him live. It was constant. It was like, you know, Chinese water torture kind of thing. It was the dripping faucet. It was just, it never let up day after day. It was a constant tension in the home. Herod had to constantly protect John the Baptist from Herodias. I'm so thankful for my wife. I'm so thankful for, you know, and it's, just, you know, it's so wonderful, and a lot of us know, it, to have to have godly spouse, and if you're not currently married, and to have godly friends, and where you can get with them, you can disagree on something, but there's not, you know, life doesn't revolve around this thing that, that I'm not going to give in to. You know what I'm saying? it's like some marriages or it's just until i get my way i'm not going to be happy and it's just this all the time it's just always slamming into each other there's never any rest about it and it's just so nice you know when we with our friends with our spouses with our families with our with our children can say well i disagree on this but it's not that big a deal may the lord's will be done there was none of that in the home it was constant tension constant arguing constant battling and so John, or excuse me, Herod Antipas had to constantly, constantly, probably daily, make sure the guards were at the door and make sure that his wife wasn't getting into that cell. Herod feared John, we are told. That means to treat with reverence or deference. There was a great deal that Herod Antipas liked about John. He respected him. He had the, kind of the fear of God from him. This, it's a funny phrase here in verse uh, 20, and when he heard him, he did many things. The NIV and some other translations have real different translations on this, and so there's, there's a little bit of uh, discussion about what that means, But what it seems to mean is, when, when John or excuse me, when Herod heard uh, John the Baptist speak, he was greatly puzzled and disturbed. John was getting to him. What was the? Do you guys remember? And this is good for a cookie after the service, but you have to raise your hand. Um, you don't have to raise your hand. You can just blurt it out. What was the first words of John's message when he came on the scene? Repent. You think suddenly he went soft on Herodias? There's not a chance. Herodias, you need to repent. I'm going to kill you. you. You might, but you still need to repent. Herod, you need to repent. Oh, don't say that. My wife's going to jump on my case. Ugh. I'm sorry about that. You married the wrong gal. You shouldn't even be married to her. You need to repent. You need to repent. You need to repent. I mean, John is just bumping up against these people all the time and he just doesn't care because he stands for righteousness. And such, so is the tension. And it's very, it's very interesting to me that he was greatly puzzled, greatly disturbed, had great reverence for the man, and yet wouldn't repent. He's willing to put up with a, with a, a murderously-minded wife and to protect this guy, but he's not willing to go along with what the guy says. He, he's in a no-win situation. Unless God intervenes, unless he surrenders to the Lord, humanly speaking, it's a no-win situation. And this is because of his sinful choices. And this is what sin can do, because it's unrelenting. It's unswerving in its determination. It's not going to change course. Satan hates us. The, the Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Sin just goes and goes and goes and goes for you, and it doesn't let up. It's unrelenting. Keep that word in mind. You don't get a break any day. Look at a guy named William Craig Lane said this. Look at this quote. Speaking of Herod Antipas, More weak than cruel. Herod listened to John with an undeniable fascination. John's words left him perplexed and in anguish. Yet he found a strange pleasure in the authoritative preaching of this holy man whose stringent life gave added power to his probing word. Look at this, too weak to follow John's counsel, he nevertheless had to listen. There's probably a lot of people that come to church that way. There's probably a lot of people that listen to you talk about Jesus that our way. They love, they love to talk about it, it's fascinating, they admire the holiness of your life. They admire the fact that you're faithful to your spouse. They admire that you raise your kids and love them. They never see you screaming at your wife or your kids or your husband and your kids. They admire your life and they're willing to talk to you about Jesus, but they're never going to really just surrender. There's an admiration and yet there's a selfishness. There's there's kind of a schizophrenic situation going on in a lot of people's hearts, spiritually speaking. Kenneth Weiss, his translation, bottom of page 1, of verse 20. He says this, Herod was in a continual state of fearing John. I I just want you guys, I I don't know how else to say it, I want you guys to feel how hard it was to be Herod Antipas. He woke up miserable every day. He didn't have good days. The dripping faucet murderous wife was there all the time. And so he's protecting John the Baptist from this murderous wife, and then he goes to talk to this guy that he's protecting, and then he's getting it from him. And and it's all in love on this side of the equation. But he's not going to surrender because he's up to his eyeballs in sin. He's he's gone pretty far down, down the road in this. Herod was in a continual state of fearing John, knowing him to be a man, righteous and holy and kept him constantly out of harm's way. And having heard him, he was in, notice, a continual state of perplexity, and he was in the habit of hearing him with pleasure. I, all the ING verbs. I just want you to see all the ING verbs. This was all going on all the time. The reason I feel like I need to make a big, big deal about this is just simply because it all could have ended. I mean, I mean you know, if, if Herod Antipas would have just said, you know what, you be quiet, and you tell me about Jesus. And I'm going to follow him. All, all that tension would have ended. Might have created some other problems, and sometimes it does when somebody comes to Christ. But all that weird uh, in between no man's land, it would have been over. He would have been, he would have been on course for righteous living, he would have been on course for heaven. And as much fascination as he had, and some of us here, maybe even today, as much fascination as you have with your Christian friends, or maybe you're watching on YouTube, whatever, as much fascination as you have about the Christian life and Jesus and this and that, and it's intriguing, and I like to study prophecy And this, sometimes we just hold on to this thing where, where we never let up on it, we never give it up, whatever it might be. And then we have all this, guys, even, even amongst Christians, guys, you guys with me? Even amongst Christians, we can be fascinated with who Jesus is, fascinated with prophecy and all of that, but not have the spiritual clarity that we really need to navigate life because there's this pocket of sin that we're unwilling to give up. Sinful living causes spiritual confusion. It just does. And it's unrelenting. It's not going to just go away. That's why Paul told Timothy, Timothy, my son, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. It's a very good fight to fight, but it's a fight, isn't it? Warren Wiersbe, you guys have heard me say this. The Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. There's fun on the battleground, but it's a battleground. So so uh, Herod Antipas here is in a strange middle place. Look at the bottom of page one. I want you to grab this and just may it not be any of us in this room. May it not be anyone watching or listening. Herod was stirred. He was stirred. In fact, Jesus called John the greatest in the kingdom of God until now. Jesus considered John the Baptist more important than Isaiah, more important than Moses, more important than Jeremiah, more important than Amos and Hosea and all the prophets. He said he's the greatest one in the kingdom of God till now. Herod was stirred and he had the greatest preacher in front of him. Herod was stirred but not converted. He was touched by God but not broken before God. And that's the difference. I want I, to I just, I just you know plead with anybody in the room that is kind of enamored with Jesus, you're kind of fascinated with Jesus, he's very interesting, the Christian life is very interesting, and all of that, but I don't want to surrender. You're kind of walking in that same road as Herod Antipas. And in my experience, and I can't speak for everybody, obviously, in this room or on the earth, <laughs> that's a pretty amazing insight that I have, right? But in my experience, the main reason for people not wanting to come to Jesus is because they don't want to give up their sins. If there's an intellectual openness and a willing heart, I believe people will come to Christ. You can have intellectual openness, but not a willing heart. And then no matter what the explanation is, the best apologists in the world, and, and it, does, it doesn't matter, your, if your heart's not there, you won't come so Herod Antipas, very fascinated in the intellect, very fascinated emotionally, his heart was like, I'm not going to give in. And so sin, sin was just unrelenting. It's like, oh great, we can keep working on him. Herod was a terrible victim of his own sinful choices. You know, that's just such deception about sin. Sin promises so much, but it gives us so little. It delivers such, such a little... Reward. Verse twenty-one. Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles and the high officers and the chief priests and the the chief men of Galilee. So this perfect moment comes. The people surrounding Herod were influential people from society, so you know, government officials or whomever, real estate investors, big winery owners, and our place you know maybe some hollywood moguls that are up here having lunch at the french laundry or something like that uh, that's why i hear those things happen uh they were there were roman commanders of thousands thousand soldier units so these guys were like commanded a thousand soldiers at a time they, these guys were big shots in the roman army and they were prominent men from galilee so he's at this party and he's got the creme de la creme of society there Verses 22 and 23, Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced, Please, Herod, and those who sat with him. And the king said to the girl, Ask whatever you want, I will give it to you. He swore to her, Whatever you ask, so he's making an oath. I swear on whatever, ask whatever you want. I'm insisting. In fact, the the language is, I insist right now, you ask me right now, and I swear I'll give you whatever you want. It was that kind of statement. This is how Barclay describes the dance, and he's a historian. This is what he says about Herodias' daughter. The Bible doesn't tell us that her name was Salome, but Josephus, a Jewish historian, tells us that her name was Salome. So I'm just going to call her Salome from here on out. Solo dances in those days in such society were disgusting and licentious pantomimes. She's acting out very you know, evocative stuff that a princess of royal blood should so expose and demean herself is beyond belief because such dances were the art of professional prostitutes. The very fact that she did this is a grim commentary on the character of Salome and also of the mother who allowed and encouraged her to do it. But Herod was pleased. Guys, you can read between the lines. It's a party and a bunch of guys are there and this gal comes in and does this thing and they were probably drinking and, and he's so inflamed and so impassioned over his daughter. This is, the, this is the result of sin. Sin is unrelenting. Herod was pleased and Herod offered her any reward. Thus Herodias got the chance to, that she had so long plotted for and John, to gratify her, was executed. So he makes this very foolish thing. Just another point, you guys. Why are we studying this stuff? This is not, this isn't, if you came to have you know whipped cream this morning, there isn't any. <laughs> There's just hard beef jerky, but it will sustain you. Grip cream probably tastes better, but jerky will sustain you, right? You gotta kinda work on it and make you know, we're working here a little bit, aren't we, this morning? But we have to be warned about sin. John the Baptist, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Day of Pentecost, what must we do to be saved? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We have to say no to sin. We have to say no to sin. It isn't even the gospel unless people repent. We don't come to Jesus so our lives are a little bit better. We have to repent. You can't even become a Christian unless you repent. You don't just come to Jesus so he makes your life better. You have to repent. You have to to agree with God. God, these things are sinful and they're not your ways, and I'm sorry, and you're right, and I'm wrong, and I'm going to turn and thank you for your grace and mercy and love and change my life, I need it, and all that. But you have to repent. We We need to fear sin. We need to fear it. But christ came right to die for our sins right he didn't come to die to make us better he came to die to forgive us first and foremost for our sins and then yeah life absolutely gets better but first and foremost for our sins because sin is deadly and damaging and, and it's destructive and if left unrepented it separates us from god forever and so we see we see the outworking of this sinful life it's just getting worse and worse. He's becoming a victim of his own sinful choices. He, he, he lets this gal come and dance. He makes a foolish vow. Another point that I was going to make, now I remember where I was at, I was kind of filling space for about 30 seconds. Another point I was going to make, sinful living causes you to be foolishly impulsive and to commit things. He didn't wake up in the morning thinking, you know, today I'm going to let Herodias have her way and we're going to kill John. He didn't wake up that way. He woke up in the morning saying, Another day, i got to protect John again. At least I get to have a party. Maybe she'll let up for the party. That's what he's probably thinking. And if he was drinking alcohol and and the suggestive dance and the whole thing, sinful living left him vulnerable to making impulsive decisions, which went, guys, please don't miss this. He violated his own conscience. And sin makes you violate your own conscience, doesn't it? We can have a glum amen on that. Amen. You guys know it does. It makes you violate your own conscience. He didn't want to kill the. It wasn't just like, oh, I didn't want to join up friends. I didn't want to join this social club. I, I shouldn't have bought that car. It wasn't like that. He murdered a man. He murdered a man because of his sinful impulse, because sin is unrelenting. And sin was working its way into his life deeper and deeper and deeper. Every time he went to listen to John and said no, and every time he walked away not giving in and not surrendering to the Lord, his heart, I think, had to get harder and harder and harder. And yet there was a conscience working there because he felt it. Some of the the sermons that I read on this, one of them was entitled The Death of a Conscience, and I disagree with that title. I don't think his conscience died. I think he got beat, beat down horribly. But he felt bad. But it was too late. He could have still repent and turn to the Lord and receive forgiveness and receive eternal life. But I just... I just you guys understand. I need to keep moving. This girl was, goes to her wicked mother and the wicked mother is ready to, to say uh, you know, what to do. In verse 24, look at verse 24 with me. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Once again in the Greek... Literally, she would have said something like this. What can I get for myself, Mom? Salome saw this as an opportunity for herself. I compromised my own integrity in front of these men. What do I get out of it? See, that's not the the way we want to raise our children, is it? Go ahead and just flaunt your body in front of these men, and and they'll give you something. So that's that's actually what she said. What can I get for myself? And Mama said, no, 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 not for you, for me. And she's using her daughter. Once again, the outplaying of a sinful life. Verse 26. Gosh, this is just ugly. Let's get out of here, shall we? <laughs> Let's go have donuts or something, right? I need comfort food. I mean, right? we're going to end with worship and prayer. and that's gonna... But this is ugly stuff, isn't it? And yet it happens all around us all the time, doesn't it? And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and such were some of us. Some of us know this all too well. And Praise the Lord, the Lord reached down and pulled us out and we said, yes, I agree with you. I'm sorry, forgive me. But it's ugly stuff. Verse 26. Oh gosh, this is awful. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. He His pride now Imagine letting your pride win out over murder. Ah. Guys, sin is unrelenting. It's unrelenting. It sets a trajectory for destruction like you can't even imagine. And you keep doing things you never thought you'd do. That's the nature of sin. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to everybody else in Napa. You guys are saints. <laughs> no, that's how, that's how sin is, isn't it? It doesn't let up. It's unrelenting. It has an agenda and it won't stop. Look at the the bold words there. Exceedingly sorry. This is really interesting. Once again, in the language, exceedingly sorry or sorrowful is the same Greek words that describe Jesus' sorrow in Gethsemane. When Jesus sweated great drops of blood, the the capillaries on his forehead because of the pressure that he was under. You know know how when you get a, a... a pressure, tension, headache, and you can feel your pulse here. And He was under such pressure in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was, that he, he suffered what is called hematidrosis. His capillaries actually burst because he was under such pressure and, and so sorrowful and overwhelmed. It's the same word that Herod Antipas felt. Except not for good reasons, for sinful reasons. I've, never, I've felt bad before. But I've never felt so bad that the capillaries on my forehead burst. I just want you, this is is a story about a man that really lived. This, This is what sin did to him. Finally, Herod's end. Look at your notes here. This is what David Gusick writes. This is just really sad and pathetic and awful. Emperor Augustus, back in Rome, denied the title king to Herod. Now in verse 14 it said King Herod. But but the historians are saying he wasn't really a king. They just called him a king to kind of, you know, uh, massage his ego a bit. But he wasn't really a king. He just took the name, the title. Emperor Augustus denied the title to Herod. Goaded by the ambitious wife Herodias, Herod pressed for the title again and again until he so offended the emperor's court that he was dismissed as a traitor. He wouldn't let up. He was unrelenting. Commentator named Trapp says this, Neither was it long before this tyrant Herod had his payment from heaven. This is what happened. This is history. In order to take his brother's wife Herodias, Herod put away his first wife, a princess from the neighboring kingdom to the east. Her father was offended and came against Herod with an army. I'm going to divorce you and marry her. Okay, we're going to get attacked by an army. <laughs> See, you don't plan for that stuff. You don't, you just, oh, I'm, just, I'm tired of you. I'm going to trade you in for somebody else. And then an army comes? You don't, you don't know what sin is going to do. You don't know what Satan's going to do. Anyway, that's, I mean, that's... Of all the marital counseling I've ever done, I've never had somebody say, you know, I divorced my wife and then I got attacked by an army. <laughs> but that's what happened. Notice, this guy, this father was offended. He came against Herod with an army, defeating him in battle. Then his brother Agrippa accused him of treason against Rome and he was banished into the distant Roman province of Gaul around Germany and France up there where Herod and Herodias committed suicide. (laughs) Let me out of this. I mean, I, I want to laugh and cry at the same time, kind of. It's just, it's insane, isn't it? It's just crazy. Guys, why did this happen? Because of sin. Because of sin. Didn't he have a chance to hear the good news? Yeah, he had John the Baptist in jail. Just a few doors down is the best preacher alive. Well, only if we had a better preacher. He yeah, had the best preacher available, except for Jesus himself. And such is the human heart. I want to end with some, just kind of a, a summary overview of, uh, and if you have any questions, I can, I'll try to answer them if you want to text them in. Here's just some general observations about sin. The work of sin is progressive. It starts small, increases, and unless forsaken, it brings death. James 1. Each one is tempted. Each one of us is tempted. By the way, each one of us is tempted. Nobody is immune. Each one of us is tempted when we're drawn away by our own desires and enticed. Sounds like Herod Antipas, doesn't it? Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So Herod didn't wake up one day and say, you know, I'm going to set myself up to get attacked by an army. He didn't do that. He started small, and this whole thing unraveled, and that's the way sin is in people's lives. You guys have seen it. I've seen it. Point number two, the nature of sin is to deceive us into ignoring the seriousness of it, thinking it is okay. Now, the very next verse that goes with the first two, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. You know how many many exemptions there are in the room uh, to the consequences of sin? None. If you were going to say none, you would have been right. (laughs) If you sin, you're you're not the exception. There's going to be consequences. None of us are the exception. Just like the law of gravity doesn't change from one day to the next. These spiritual laws do not change from one day to the next. There's no exceptions. Why do we think we're the exception? Well, it won't be that bad. Talk to Herod Antipas about it. I never thought I'd get attacked by an army for divorcing my wife. You guys connect the dots, right? Number three, we by ourselves, with our own power, cannot escape the consequences of our own sins, either temporal or eternal. We can't escape the temporal consequences or the eternal consequences. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. It's a tremendous opportunity while we live if you've been reaping the wrong thing, guys, a tremendous opportunity. We can start. We can change today. Praise the Lord! It's great. We can change today. If you if you think you hear approaching uh, footsteps of an invading army, you know, let God reroute them. Quit sowing to the flesh. Finally, I'm going to close it up here. If you have any questions. Number four, sin brings pleasure for a short season, but the result is restriction, bondage, and hindrance. None of us would sin. If, if, if sin didn't feel good, none of us would do it. It feels good a little bit, right? Okay, talk about the person next to you. It feels good, right? <laughs> sin feels a little bit good very, for a very short season. We are told in Hebrews, Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Sin does have a passing pleasure. For a time, Herod Antipas thought, man, this is so great. This wife number two is so much better than wife number one. It was really good for a while. And then it just got really bad. But here's the great news, guys. This is wonderful news. These are, these are the words of Jesus. John chapter 8. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word... If you follow my word, if you believe what the Bible says, if you believe what I'm saying about myself and about humanity and all that, if you abide in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. You're my followers. You're joined to me. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Herod Antipas knew nothing of truth. He was more of a prisoner in his castle than than John the Baptist was in his cell. John the Baptist was the free guy, emotionally, psychologically. Herod Antipas was the guy in prison because of his own choices. But Jesus said, if we abide in his word, we will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And Jesus answered these people that objected. He said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Sin has an enslaving nature to it. It's unrelenting. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides. Jesus is just saying, in those days when you had slaves... They slept out in the barn. The children slept in the house with Dad. If we're constantly living in sin, if you don't know Jesus, then you're out in the barn. If you're, as a Christian, if you're constantly living in sin, you feel like you're in the barn. And you don't feel free. However, can we read that last verse together as a congregation? Verse 36. You guys ready? Here we go. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Herod Antipas had such a tremendous opportunity to be free. And he just never gave in. He was intrigued. He was entertained. He had a holy fear. He had all these things, but he never surrendered. And he ended up taking his own life. It's terrible. As I pray, you know, if this has been kind of a bummer thing for you today, it's kind of a bummer to teach it. It's like, who likes to teach these kinds of messages, right? But if we don't warn people, we fatten them up for the kill. Just fatten them up for the kill. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I was talking to to one young man today, and and the translation of that, work out your salvation with a cautious self-distrust. Be careful. But have great uh, holy abandon to know that if you're following Jesus, all is going to be good. Not easy all the time, but it's going to be good. We don't have to be afraid if we're in Christ. I don't know if there's any questions this morning. Yeah, I didn't think so. (laughs) How many of you guys have seen the uh, Wizard of Oz? Yeah. You know that part. Oh, 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 I feel like I want to walk out of church today. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> but but maybe the whole, maybe maybe my point is proven. Talking about sin so much just leaves you kind of feeling like oh. oh, oh. <sighs> you know, if if you're if you're singing that song to yourself, come to the Lord. If you're singing that song under your breath, repent, man. Repent and be free. Jesus died to forgive you of your sins first and foremost. First of all, you have to be judicially right with God and then the practical rightness and the joy follows that. But you have to, you have to turn to him. You have to turn from your ways and turn to him. So Missy and Sisko are going to lead us in a song and we're going to have some people up here. If you want to come up and receive some prayer, uh, you don't have to. If you come up and receive some prayer, you don't have to think. Oh my gosh! Everybody's thinking. I'm going. Oh. <laughs> hey, you know what? There's probably this week all of us saying, "Can you sing it with me?" <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Probably, probably all of us this week have done that, or next week, or last week, or whatever. So there's no shame in just saying, "You know what? I need some prayer." If the if the prayer people could could come on up and and stand up here and and. Uh, you know, it's just a time to respond to the Lord. We're gonna take another five minutes, sing a song together, pray for people. Just ask the Lord to do a work in our hearts. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you are the friend of sinners, Lord, that you draw close to those who are in need. You draw near to the brokenhearted. Lord, I pray that we, we just wouldn't be heavy hearted, but we'd be appropriately broken hearted before you, God. Broken in a way that leads us to you. So Lord, have your way with us, we pray. In Jesus' name.